Welcome to The Big Why, a series from Montana Public Radio where we find out what we can discover together. I'm your host, Austin Amistoy. This is a show about listener-powered reporting. We'll answer questions, large or small, about anything under the big sky. By Montanans for Montana, this is The Big Why. For this week's episode, our Butte reporter John Hooks is back. Hi, John. Hey, Austin. Thank you for having me back. Of course. So, John, I understand you have another history lesson for us this week. I sure do, Austin. So, I know you grew up in Laurel, which is really close to the Crow Reservation. That's right. Proud locomotive over here. So, I want to ask, do you remember learning in school about why a lot of the land on that reservation is owned by white people who aren't tribal members? You know, I don't remember any classes ever touching on that, really, but you've got me curious now, John. That's great, because we actually had a couple listener questions about exactly this issue. One wanted to know why the Flathead Reservation is majority non-native, and somebody else wanted to know how much land Montana's reservations lost to white settlement. Hmm. And I think you have some expertise with this subject matter, right? That's exactly right. Before my MTPR days, I spent over a year of my life researching and producing a podcast called Land Grab. That takes a very deep dive into how reservations in Montana were opened to white homesteading. So to start this story, we're going to go back to the 1880s. And assisting me here is friend of the show, Dr. Shane Doyle, who grew up not too far away from you, Austin, in Crow Agency. I'm a member of the Upsaluga Nation and work as a cultural consultant uh, in Bozeman, Montana. At this point in history, open military conflict between the American Army and Indigenous nations is basically over. The federal government has signed treaties with tribes and forced them onto reservations, but still... These were communities that thrived and lived off of a landscape that was very wild. This is an important detail, because land was still being held in common among these tribes on a reservation. So they could still go through life in the traditional way, living off the land and sharing resources. They had intimate knowledge of the landscapes, the plants, the animals. They could make all of these movements throughout the year and harvest these plants and animals in a way that was sustainable and also in a way that, was, that honored their integrity as communities. But then in 1887, something dramatically changed things. Oh, what happened? The U.S. Congress passed a bill called the General Allotment Act, but it's more commonly known as the Dawes Act, after the guy who sponsored it. The Dawes Act. Okay, so what did it do? Under the act, each tribal member on a reservation would be assigned 160 acres of land, instead of this big swath of land held in common. So it broke up reservations into all these individual parcels. So it was really an attempt to essentially privatize their land holdings. That is Dr. Kristen Rupel. She is a professor in the Native American Studies program at Montana State. You know, the 160 acres you mentioned reminds me a lot of the Homestead Act, and we definitely learned about that in school. Oh, yeah. And that is a great connection because... The flip side of that, that meant that they could open up a lot of other land to non-Native or white settlement. So splitting up the reservations like that under the Dawes Act left a lot of land not owned by anybody, and that meant it could be sold off to white homesteaders? Yep, precisely. Okay, to bring it back to our listener questions, 
John, how much land did tribes in Montana lose in this process? Well, not every reservation in Montana was opened and sold off for homesteading, but the Flathead, Blackfeet, Crow, and Fort Peck reservations were opened and collectively lost over 2 million acres to white homesteaders. The Flathead Reservation alone lost over a million acres, and that allotment is really the key reason the reservation is still majority non-native in population. Wow, that's a devastating amount of land. Yeah, and if you zoom out, it's even more striking. Nationwide, close to 100 million acres were lost. That means roughly two-thirds of the land indigenous people held was sold off in less than 50 years until the policy was repealed. What was the impact of that beyond land loss? There were all kinds of impacts, and it's important to understand that this process of diluting indigenous ownership of reservations was highly intentional. The federal government didn't, it wanted to get itself out of what it referred to as the Indian business, right, or its Indian problem. Native people speaking their own language, practicing their own cultures and religions, it meant they weren't taking part in American culture, and importantly, the American economy which the government explicitly called a problem at the time. So they embarked on a process to assimilate Native people. They sent children to boarding schools, sometimes thousands of miles away, where there was systematic abuse and erasure of culture and language. The government outlawed certain forms of practicing Native religion. All of this was part of an effort to assimilate Indigenous people. To, as Shane Doyle says, to integrate them more fully into the economy and really take away their identity as, as indigenous occupants of this landscape. So to really melt them into the melting pot, if you will. But even with all of that in mind, I still think you have to say the allotment policy failed at its main goal. Really? How was that? Well, because the goal was to completely eradicate indigenousness, to get rid of Native people as a distinct type. But Native people, culture, and land persisted. I asked Shane Doyle to talk about that resistance, and I thought he had a really beautiful answer. The United States government understood from the very beginning that if you want to dismantle Native communities, take the children out of the homes, take them away from their parents and their grandparents, because that's what's really going to cause everything to collapse, you know, when you disconnect people from the source of their knowledge, from the source of their love, from the source of their language. It's testimony to Native people's strength of family that cultures are still alive today in the 21st century. Wow, that's really amazing to think about. John, thank you so much for another history lesson. My pleasure. Now we want to know what makes you curious about Montana, and you can submit your questions online at bigy.org. You can find this show and Land Grab wherever you listen to podcasts, and help others find the show by sharing it and leaving us a review. Let's see what we can discover together. <laughs>